0: this baby.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to Gray Malkin Lane's newest Patreon episode. A couple days ago I got to hang out with my friend Justin Wilder from the Ex-Wife podcast. Today I get to hang out with his better half, Mrs. Alicia Wilder oh. Esquire. How
0: are you, my Woo-hoo. friend? I am so good. I am so happy to be here. This is this is great. I can't been... wait to talk about this crazy <laughs> this crazy guy.
1: <laughs> We've been talking about this for a while. I have a list of characters that I want to get to. I also have a long list of like Favorite characters, and a lot of my favorites, I I've, I've written the profiles or the encyclopedias on. Literally, uh, one of those characters, and I I am curious why you chose this one in particular out of all the options available to you. But I'm so glad uh, we're going to talk about Peepers today.
0: <laughs> wow. I I think I chose Peepers because I have this like place in my heart where when I first saw him on the page, I was like, oh, no, no, what is happening there? And I was like upset. And then I was like, you know what, Alicia, you shouldn't judge someone just based on their giant eyeballs. You should really give them a chance. <laughs> So when Peepers came up as an option oh. I was like, all right, Alicia, you this is your time to give Peepers a chance.
1: I have a genuine Peepers. I have a genuine fondness. Well, I mean, we'll call him Peepers, but he does go by Peeper sometimes. <laughs> and also there are other code names. We'll talk about those. So uh so alicia i think most of my listeners are very familiar with you from our trials and our various team up episodes and uh for those that may not be familiar tell everybody a little bit about your origin story when i asked justin this question he's like i don't know where to start oh my god
0: (laughs) i love that um okay so i am a dancer choreographer actress podcaster cosplayer creator of sorts um I really like in my childhood I was into dancing and theater especially musical theater I've always done a lot of like behind the scenes stuff and like choreography or production elements and I think I was like really afraid when I was younger to be the person on stage because I just didn't I just doubted myself a lot um and I had a supportive family, but no one else in my family is, like, a nerd or, like, like at all. There's just, I just don't understand how there's none of them. Like, there's not. I think the closest thing was, like, my dad is, like, sort of into Batman. So, like, that was something, I guess. Um, but then I, when I went to college, I was going to college for technical theater to be a lighting designer because I was, like, oh, that's a safe job. And then I started dancing in college, like, in the dance company because I danced my whole life. And I was, like, nope, this is what I want to do. So I sort of shifted gears, um, dancer, choreographer, lighting designer, backstage person, film student, all of these things. Um, And I took all of that. And now I work for a company in Rhode Island that does um, like living statues and living art and character performances that we curate special performances for um, events. So like event specific stuff. And uh, about in 2012 or so, they were like, hey, what else can we add to the company? And I was like, what about dance? And I founded the dance company within that company. And now that's my full-time job is dancing. I run a space where people can come take class. I teach class. I take class. We do performances. We do site-specific and event-specific performances too. And then- in COVID times, when COVID started, everything I do stopped because everything I do is based in social. So I was like, oh, okay. Events are not happening. People are not gathering. Like, I don't know who I am. And, um, a friend of mine and I were talking about starting a podcast, but then that didn't happen. Um, we wanted to start a podcast about like, how to actually just like be an artist and be a human and like find the balance and joy between those two things.
1: Sure, yeah.
0: Um, and then Justin was like, well, what about this other idea for a podcast where I tell you about comics? And I was like, All right, okay, well, let's do it. And that just opened up like a whole nother level of nerdiness that I didn't even know existed in the world and just like in me. And the community that I have been introduced to since starting the x wife podcast with Justin has just been like, probably one of the most amazing things to happen to me in my entire life. Like y'all are the best. I love connecting with you. And it's also just made me feel so much better about being myself, like on a whole nother level. I like, I thought I was comfortable with who I was like after college. And then I met like the X-Men community and I was like, oh No this is fully who I am. And these people fully embrace that. And I'm here for it. Like to the point where last night I did something in class that I would never have done before in my, in a dance class that I was teaching. I long story short, a song came on the radio one day in the car and Justin and I started like, yes. ending a Harry Potter remix to the song where we were yelling Harry Potter quotes, um, like <laughs> while the song was playing and I decided to use that song for an exercise in my class. And we, I told them the story about the song. Like this is why this random song is on this playlist. And a couple of weeks ago, one of them said to me, you know, every time this song plays now, I can't help but hear like Gryffindor in my head. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) all right. So next week when we do this exercise, everybody like think of a Harry Potter quote for next time and we'll all just yell them out while we're doing the exercise. And like we did that last night in a, in an adult dance class, like just everybody yelling Harry Potter quotes while they were dancing. And that I just never would have been comfortable to like be that version of myself without the X-Men community. So now I'm here and I get to do fun stuff like this like talk to you about a crazy character with giant <laughs> eyeballs who's just misused. He's underused. That's my feelings on peepers and that's also my origin story.
1: That is a fair origin story. I uh, I love working with other artists. I love working with people who embrace their nerddom. I love working with people that I can be myself around, which means my mm-hmm. queer self as well, as well. So like embracing all the weird different sides of me. I am so relaxed. I was telling Justin this in our show too. I'm so relaxed around the two of you. I can automatically be myself. I can't wait to meet in person this fall because you guys are just the most yummy, wonderful people. I love you both. Uh, oh, I love it too. I had this like long history of production before I came into this show. I I wrote for Marvel, and then I mm-hmm. had I wrote a book, and I blogged, and I did live storytelling, and I did improv, and then I made a comic book, and then I made a documentary, and then COVID hit, and I was like, oh, now what? Because all my all my plans came screeching to a halt, and it was the same kind of like, oh, I need. Like, what's the place i can do this and so i like i took a survey of like the x-men podcasting community that was out there right there's Jan miles mm-hmm. and there's cerebro yeah. and house of x and powers of x and X wife and i started like listening to like different snippets of different shows and i was like i need to find a way to do this if i want it to be something that's adding to the mix so mm-hmm. like the idea of doing the books from the beginning forward Uh, And then, you know, plants change along the way, of course, but uh, it's been so fun to like dive into the 60s stuff and like take my sweet time. And I still have like 18 months probably before we get to Giant Size X Men number one, which is crazy.
0: (laughs) I also like, I love that you do that because for me, Like every time I get to do something for your show, I further my ex education, like, because there's so much about the X-Men that I don't know. So when I get to read all the like past issues, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm in the club even more now. (laughs) I know so much more stuff.
1: Well, and you've done professional interviews as well. I'm doing, uh, you know, four or five of those a month on my show and I'm building relationships and friendships Mm. with people. And it's like really genuinely like. I was chatting with Chuck Austin earlier today. Like, Hey man, how's your day going? And Gregory yes. Wright and I were chatting last night and like genuine, real friendships that have extended from all this. And it's just, it's a wonderful thing. That's, um, the, but, coolest.
0: That's yeah, the coolest. That's the coolest. Like Joshua Cassara and like, we like, we sent him a Christmas card. Like what? Come on. <laughs> like, this is amazing. And I love him so much. It's like, that's the dopest.
1: Thing. you and Justin have interviewed like eight people that I really want to interview. I
0: uh,
1: I'll get to a, like I would love to meet Joshua Cassaro like what a he's <gasps> a he's a, a joy. okay. Chad, we... just
0: message us to get message me and remind me and I'll be like, yo, Josh, <laughs> go on Chad's show. Who's
1: I uh, I'm I I will definitely do that. I'm trying to be careful because I I ended up scheduling out too far and I'm in a place where people are starting to contact me and like, hey, can I come on your show? And I'm like, yes. Also, my next opening is in mid-September, which I'll reach out, but I'll give it a minute.
0: (laughs) But that's like, that's a clutch place to be. Like one, people are like, hey, Chad, I want to be on your show. And two, you're like, yes, hold on. I have an availability... Like I'm there's so this cool. <laughs> there's this
1: really cool feeling of like uh when someone leaves the interview and is like I had a genuinely good time today I would love to come back right like it's it's just mm-hmm. such a cool thing and the trials you that's what you and I do the most together there's just this like genuine like camaraderie that exists and I leave smiling and it's worth all the work and it's just it's a wonderful thing. Okay, we got to start. We're just going to talk about this stuff for 90 minutes which is amazing yes. on its own. Uh we're going to start with uh peepers. Yeah, Jack guess. Kirby and Stan Lee kind of famously did not get along. Stan Lee is a big talker and Jack Kirby was a very understated kind of person. And there's a lot of like examples of they'd go to a panel and they'd get asked questions and Stan Lee would talk for like 5 straight minutes and then Jack would be like, "Uh-huh." <laughs> and they 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 were creative geniuses and they did a lot together, but Stan also took a lot of the credit and Jack was sometimes mm. underpaid. So I know there's multiple times when Jack came back to Marvel and would do runs on something where he had more creative control. And the stuff he did in the late 70s is crazy. If you you read his entire run on Captain America from front to back, this is the Mad Bomb era, which won't make any sense. But there's a lot of really wonky, crazy. Arnim Zola shows up and there's weird, splashy, giant art. Where we're going to introduce Peepers is during this era. Jack Kirby is just kind of on acid or something and letting himself be unhinged uh, and just going crazy. So Peepers gets his start in Captain America annual number four. Now, where is it that you first came across this character for the first time? Was it in Sword?
0: Yes. Yep, it was in Sword. And I was like, what? No context, no nothing, which is kind of really similar to how he shows up here, right? He's just- I mean, sure boom there he is
1: but sword brought in like 30 characters that weren't being used anywhere else right like they made yeah. teams sword oh well we'll get to sword in a while but sword is a space station that is equipped with just a bunch of mutants that who have some crazy missions together and in the krakoa era peepers shows up in sword and gets a couple really great moments and now he's kind of in the background again uh but he's an oddball he's a strange little dude and uh There's a lot of these characters, especially on villain teams, where there's like the character that you kind of joke about uh mm-hmm. that's like the butt of the joke toad from the brotherhood of evil mutants is a good example of this like the little simpering guy in the corner that everybody kind of kicks around and you feel bad but also you laugh about it like Maybe. i don't know if you, if you can think of any examples uh but like the little well, guys
0: yeah well for me i was like all right he kind of starts out like an igor and then sort of turns into a dobby and he's just like He's like meek and like I'm here to help you, but like, ooh. give me a I'm sock fragile. master. Yeah, I'm fragile.
1: <laughs> but he's also weird. He's strange <laughs> and eerie in the way that Toad kind of is. There's an mm-hmm. eeriness about him. So his first appearance is in 1977. It's Captain America Annual number four. And what was your experience like? We'll we'll talk about the this issue, but it is it is weird. <laughs> it's <a> real weird.
0: <laughs> well, first. I I agree with what you're saying about the Captain America series in general, because at first I like on Marvel Unlimited clicked on the wrong issue and was reading the issue before, like halfway through it, I think I realized this is not the correct issue. And I was so in because I was so invested in it. I was like, yeah, what's happening? This is awesome. But I just don't. Like I don't think I'll ever fully understand Mr. One and Mr. Two or like what the, what like are they the same person or not the same person are they connected what exactly is their mutant power um but if you can fit a tiny mutant in a watch that's cool so And Magneto's
1: obsession with them is my favorite part of the whole thing. Okay, he okay. Has to have them. So so this story is called The Great Mutant Massacre uh, and we meet a lot of really weird new characters. Among them are Mr. One and Mr. Two. Do you want to tell us about these two?
0: <laughs> okay. So Mr. One is like I don't know, the smaller, like your, he's like your thumbnail and he can fit inside a watch but he doesn't talk he has no, he, d- he doesn't speak but he like can communicate with you telepathically
1: He's like a little orange guy, the size of like a nickel who he looks
0: like a raisin it's... or like
1: <laughs> <laughs> he, fits inside, he fits inside a tiny watch case and he's just in there. And his... he always
0: looks so sad because he's just trapped constantly. And then he has a counterpart,
1: but he is a Mr. telepath. Two. He has a telepath yeah. and then Mr. Two is like eight feet tall.
0: He's gigundous and he's just angry. He just, he's basically Mr. One's bodyguard. And if you're not, if Mr. One's not happy, Mr. Two is coming for you. Um, They're, yeah. They're, and so like they're being experimented on and, but Magneto wants them. Nobody knows what's up with them. So Magneto has some secret plan and I want to know what secret plan it is that Mr. One is perfect for. Cause that's all he keeps saying. He's like, he's perfect for my plan. And I'm like, what plan?
1: Mr. One and Mr. Two only show up in this one issue in 1977, but in 2021, Al Ewing, who we love, of course, was writing Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's in a passing line of dialogue that Al Ewing reveals the truth about these two. Do you know Uh, the Imperial Guard member Warstar? No. Warstar is, do you, you know who the Imperial Guard is? Mm-hmm. Or star, there's a guy named Cecil. He's a big green robot dude and he's got a little tiny green guy that rides on his back named Beni. I think that's their names. And they're like they're like a they like work together characters. and they're like powerful, but if you separate them, so in in a random line of dialogue, Al Ewing reveals that the Imperial Guard created Mr. One and Mr. Two to be a prototype for the later Warstar unit that would be used in the actual Imperial Guard, which is brilliant. So they're like a Shi'ar creation that ended up on Earth. We just have that one line of dialogue and that's it. But yay. Thank you for doing
0: that work, sir.
1: Al Ewing, Brilliant. You're Uh, the
0: best. That was just
1: bothering him, apparently. He's like, we need to clear up this 50-year-old mystery. Okay, so we got Mr. 1 and Mr. 2. We have Burner. Burner is a mutant with the worst mustache. (laughs) He's so weird looking. He has long uh, white hair. And he has the power to cause uh, flames that shoot out of his hands. And this guy is the most normal one. Uh, Then we've got Lifter lifter is a guy that can like negate gravity or like make things really heavy or light Uh, and then we have shocker do you want to tell us about shocker
0: (laughs) oh man uh shocker's got
1: lobster claws
0: what do you what what can you say about him he just he you'd think like why lobster claws and like electricity energy like where do those two things come together? I don't know. That whole he's got, group. He's a
1: normal looking like, guy with lobster claws and lobster feet. And he can send out electric zaps. That's that's all you need.
0: Are there a lobsters that can. Like that's what I want to know.
1: I, I truly do not. I am not I prepared like, to answer that question.
0: I feel <laughs> like that has to come from science. But I think like. I don't know.
1: And then there's also Slither.
0: Yes. Slither Sl- is my favorite
1: is he why do you like slither
0: i don't know i just like the way he like whoop, he's just like i'm just gonna wrap myself around you and he's just so sly like but also not like sly but not smooth if that
1: was when i was a kid i collected he-man action figures mm-hmm. and they had the snake men and like all of the snake men were different snake themed characters that could like do different snaky things Ah, uh, so Slither, when I first met Slither, I'm like, oh, he's the, one of the snake men. But then later, Mark Grenwell creates the entire Serpent society. And there oh. is a story. there is a story in which Slither is working for Madame Hydra. Do you know Madame Hydra, the green-haired? Yes, yes. Uh, and they go to washington, d c and poison the water supply, and whoever drinks from the water turns into a snake person. Okay. And Ronald and Nancy Reagan turn into snake people. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Amazing.
1: So that's that's my favorite Slither story. Uh I love that. And then we have Peeper. Uh and there's Peeper.
0: Tell us tell us about Peeper. Peeper is like he's clutch in any situation. He's like my first of all, he just pops up as like I'm Magneto's right-hand man. The plans are gonna filter through me when we're in the field, I'm in charge. But he's like really small bodied and his head is probably like at least half the size of his whole body his eyeballs are like more than half the size of his whole head and they are very like veiny and they just kind of like pop out at least in like this iteration like some points he has kind of elf ear situations at other points he's a little bit taller um but he has the ability to sort of Well, see it all. He has like super wide lens eyeballs. He can like sense everything that's going on. He can see for like thousands of miles away. And then if you really concentrate super hard, he can shoot laser beams out his eyeballs. (laughs) (laughs) Which doesn't Uh, get used enough. I just don't know why he's not using that feature more often.
1: (laughs) He's only five foot three. He's just this little teeny, bald, Dobby the house elf is a great way to describe this guy. And on the cover, on the cover of this issue, he looks like he has a pink head and like yellow eyes, Mm. but he's more Caucasian looking inside the issue. Now for X-Men fans, this is wild. And it's like a weird piece of X-Men trivia. And this isn't a Captain America book, but this is the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants 2. The original one is, you know, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, Toad, and Mastermind. Then this is the second version of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. It's Magneto who has recruited Burner, Lifter, Slither, Peeper, and Shocker to be his new brotherhood. And then Mystique's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants is the third one. So this one is often forgotten because they've never really been in many X-Men comics. And they're only together as the Brotherhood here. But it's wild that this is a Brotherhood.
0: They kind of felt to me like they were they or like the OG idea for the brotherhood like this someone wrote this on a scrap of paper like burner, lifter, peeper like <laughs> i'm going to have all the basic names and then they got forgotten and then Jack Kirby was like you know what i'm going to get those and bring those guys back because they're so i don't know just like not what you would expect i think for a second iteration in my mind
1: and every one of these characters deserves their own Patreon episode. I With the agree. exception of maybe Mr. One and Mr. Two, because they only have though like one appearance. But uh, That's but I mean one. we're gonna focus on Peeper. There's no backstory given. We don't really have any insight into this, but we can kind of intuit this classic like mutant story where this kid hit puberty and like his eyeballs grew tw- twenty times bigger. <laughs> like, you know.
0: And he was like, I can see everything. I can't stop seeing everything. It must be so difficult to see that much all the time.
1: So one of the really interesting things we'll start with on Peeper, Magneto is such a royal asshole to Toad all the time, smacking mm-hmm. him around, kicking him, calling him names. But he is weirdly, right from the beginning, he's weirdly affectionate toward Peeper. Like yeah. this mutant like has his respect and his understanding uh, I mean, Magneto's still the same Magneto. He's still the crazy, megalomaniacal, screaming, monologue villain, right? But yes. what is it about Peeper that gets Magneto's respect? Because this, is, this is played out in Sword later, too. Like,
0: Yeah. I think that it's like that Peeper has... He's actually just like a really nice dude. Like, he's a great guy. And... So when he's like, I'm here for you, Magneto. Like Magneto's like, he's genuine. This is a genuine dude. Whereas Toad's like, I'm here. Cause he's like, what can I get from you? And that's why Magneto's like, you're not riding on my coattails. But Peeper, he's like, yeah, I think you're actually a good guy. So I trust you. Like I think Magneto actually trusts him.
1: I feel like there is an origin story waiting to be told. As far as how Magneto recruited Peeper. And Peeper did like, something weirdly like humane and was just like a genuinely good guy and magneto who's normally just a jerk is like holy shit you i got your back man like you are you are my brother i am here for you because this is not a good era for magneto uh Mm. it's it's an interesting thing to consider now this is after magneto was de-aged into the baby for the baby So this might be because we know uh, from later comics that like Moira messed with Magneto's mind a little bit and like changed Mm. his powers around so he wouldn't be such an asshole anymore. Because we get the implication that his powers were like driving him mad and that's why he was so terrible in the 60s. So it's possible that Moira did something. I uh, But yeah, there's a story waiting to be told there.
0: Yeah, Al Ewing should write it. (laughs)
1: i'm uh i'm getting ready toward the end of this year to launch into the later era of like 60s magneto uh and he's and he's just he's insane and then we'll and then he'll get turned into a baby and then we'll have a different magneto after that but i've got a whole bunch of magneto content later this year that's gonna be wildly fun Oh my god. Okay, so let's tell the story from this issue. I'll cover this part quickly. There's a guy named Joe Keegan who has come across two mutants named Mister One and Mister Two, and he doesn't know what to do with them. And one of them's eight feet tall, and the other's the size of a nickel. So he puts an ad in the paper and says, "Hey, somebody come help these guys." <laughs> <laughs> and the Magneto and Captain America both show up, which is. Uh, this is this plot line is ridiculous and they immediately start fighting and the room gets like shredded to bits and then keegan's like hey here's the mutants and mr one can't talk and mr two crushes magneto's helmet and like punches him through the wall and then magneto like runs away and he's like i need mr one and like peepers is there to cheer him up and he's dressed in orange and blue uh what do you think peepers voice is like like his first words he speaks are cheer up magneto what does he sound like
0: I think he's so like. I think his voice changes over time. First of all, different writers will write his voice different. But I feel like this is like he has like a high pitch, like cheer up, Magneto. Like he's like that kind of guy. Like, like he's like a five year old in a nineteen forties TV
1: show. I almost want his voice to be like cheer up, Magneto. Like oh he's he's got like a deep baritone, and like you're like, oh, he's kind of hot.
0: Awesome, I'm into that. That's his new voice that's it so I'm gonna
1: I'm gonna use that so he says cheer up Magneto destiny is about to break this impasse and they're not talking about like destiny the mutant like like, fate will work in our favor I saw Captain America I saw him enter a building which I'm certain is the hiding place of that little mutant which is so funny because he found a mutant smaller than him (laughs) it's only 60 miles away I didn't miss a detail and then Magneto is praising Peeper. do you want to do Magneto's voice here
0: Oh, all right. <laughs> Your all-encompassing vision is flawless. It's time to alert those
1: in the ready room. And the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants gathers, and they—Magneto sends them to fight the uh, Captain America, and they're at the Pentagon <laughs> trying to get Mister One, uh, and he apparently needs a little teeny tiny spaceship that will help him out, and they need to get back to the Shi'ar, I guess. And then Peeper goes up to a high point on the ship and he says, saucer-eyed Peeper scans the wide horizon. The mutant's power of vision enjoys a range of hundreds of miles like a natural telescope. It can define detail denied to ordinary humans. I love when people monologue about their powers. Uh, And then he spots Captain America and Mr. One and Mr. Two coming and he warns the others and they fight Cap and Peeper can shoot eye beams like Cyclops and it's amazing. He yells, my eyes can generate more than telescopic vision. At maximum power, I can release lethal beams. And we don't really have context. Like, does this is it like solar powered? Does it run out? Uh, and he knocks Captain America through a wall, and then Cap throws Peeper into a chute down into the basement. You'll pay for those seals. And in the uh, in the end, uh, Mr. One and Mr. Two die because their spaceship explodes. The end. Like Magneto's like curses. Foiled again. <laughs> Dang it! What was it like for you to read this insane story? (laughs) This is not the Magneto we know.
0: I Well, yeah, I just, first of all, Mr. One and Mr. Two, I was just like, okay, accept it. Accept this ridiculous that you're not going to understand. That's often what I tell myself when I'm reading comics. Just, just, it's like a musical theater. Suspend your disbelief. It is what it is. Um, But I just found that like, even though Magneto was like, this is my evil plot. He somehow felt more like, like network tv sitcom magneto in that he was like okay these are my crazy kids gonna come on peeper come over here and the rest of you help me out and like you're not gonna defeat me captain america like i don't know it just it was funny to me it felt funny like it wasn't as like diabolical i think and i think also because it was a ridiculous premise of this tiny little man. And I didn't know, I really wanted to know what his deep plan that he just kept saying, like, he's perfect for my plan. And I was like, what plan? But I, I had a lot of fun.
1: Some sort of world domination or like Obviously. Homeland for mutants or mm-hmm. like creating a race to serve him. Cause that's not what, that's what my is all, all about back then. I'm picturing like, this is the late seventies. So like Scooby-Doo cartoon animation, like Mm. from that era and like you watch it and you read this issue and it's nonsense but it's it's weirdly kind of magical like every character in this story i'm like fuck yeah okay put an ad in the paper need help with mutants okay (laughs) like let's there's a little guy in a watch all right let's do he needs a spaceship okay (laughs) i
0: know and even even just captain America's like just like uh, okay uh let me see what i can do here like He's even baffled by, like, what is happening, which is interesting to me. Like, I feel like I often see him very, like, I've got this handled. And I feel like he was like, well, I don't know anything about this little man. What do I do?
1: (laughs) And this is right before or maybe even during, like, when Claremont has his hands on Magneto. It's the early 80s where we start to get more depth to this character and things kind of shift. But this is a wild and hilarious issue. So everybody go read it. Uh, Then these characters kind of land on the list of available characters to use for anyone who wants to dust them off. Marvel has like a bajillion of these. They could be forgotten villains that show up one more time 40 years later. But these guys kind of stick together. These little dudes, not with Magneto, but, you know, Burner, Shocker, uh, Peeper, and Lifter are most often together. Slither's there a little less often. But they reband and they call themselves the Mutant Force. And they next show up in uh, Defenders in 1979 by Ed Hannigan and Herb Trimpey. Uh, this is numbers 78 through 80, 83, 87. And this story is pretty deeply uncomfortable. We referenced this story when we had the uh, uh, the mind control and sexual assault panel that we did after the Mesmero mm. and Mastermind trial. We talked about this story specifically because it's very rapey and weird, and there's some awful turns in this. There's yeah. Each of these issues are split into two. One half is focusing on, like, the Doctor Strange Hulk Namor stuff. We're not going to talk about it all. The other half is the female Defenders team, which is Valkyrie, Hellcat, Wasp, and Clea. And they have a handful of, like, human allies that they're working with that are also all women. Have you read Defenders comics before outside of the Magneto into a Baby one that i probably made you read twice? (laughs) (laughs) No, no. Mm -mm. These are fun. (laughs) What was your impression of the Defenders in the late 1970s?
0: Well, I think what is what does Valkyrie say? Like she says something about Hela's ghost every single time she speaks. (laughs) oh hella's ghost oh hella's ghost oh hella's ghost like whatever and I'm like why does she have to start every single line the exact same way
1: and she has Um, metal boobs
0: yes yeah I think I was like mixed feelings right like I was like okay this is cool this is the 70s and this is a pretty I mean it's close to 80s but it's a, a lot of female characters on a team but Then I was like, "Mm, but why are we what's happening to them? Why are we having them controlled in this way? And I felt like an interesting vibe that like their motives or their intention was to make it seem like the woman the women could like overcome this thing and be powerful and like stand up for themselves, but they weren't really focusing on that part of it. They were more focusing on like the control that they were having uh, enforced on them so I thought that was a little bit like you're I could see you're making an effort, but it's not quite landing.
1: Was, but I enjoyed
0: it. Was yeah. this
1: your first introduction to the supervillain Mandrill? Yeah. Okay, you know Necra from the Sabretooth yes. comics. Yeah. Necra and Mandrill share an origin story. Interesting. It's a really interesting we're gonna get to these guys on my show. I'm weirdly fond of both of them, even though Mandrill's a horrible character. He's a literal man that looks like a monkey, and his power is to control women. And there's a great issue—I don't remember where it is—where Emma Frost just kicks this guy's ass, and it's amazing. Oh,
0: I I would love to see it.
1: Uh, There's also a moment in Daredevil where Mandrill uh, has an army, and he makes them chisel his face into Mount Rushmore. Like that's a literal thing that happens in a Marvel comic. It's a monkey face on Mount Rushmore.
0: (laughs) Oh my God! I wish that was real.
1: Uh uh what were your impressions of Mandrel besides creepy?
0: Well, I I kind of feel like he's got a lot of like quote unquote authority, but he doesn't actually like do anything himself. You so you know, classic, classic. He
1: has that's what I'll say. Pheromones, <laughs> monkey pheromones at that.
0: Yeah, and he's very He has no thought in his mind that he could ever possibly be defeated by anyone ever. He's like, you can't resist me. Don't worry, you're upset now, but you won't be upset in five minutes when I have control over you. Like, he's like, you will, serve.
1: And this is one of the characters we talk about in the panel. This is a wildly campy, ridiculous, easy-to-love, fun villain. But there's also a lot of racist Mm. tropes with this. It's a literal man that looks like a monkey. Who has African American origins in a way where Necra is a black woman born with white skin who's rejected? There's a lot of interesting undertones to all of this. Also, it's he's very clearly using his powers to commit sexual assault on the page, yeah. but it doesn't. It's kind of it's done in a way that was like socially acceptable, and you're just kind of laughing about it. But when you read into it and realizing some of these girls are teenagers, you're like, oh, yeah. But he has no. he has no. captured a bunch of women who have to do his bidding. They're like scientists and soldiers, and there's a whole bunch of them. And he makes them dress up. <laughs> do you want to talk? They're called he make he calls them the Femme Force. Do you want to talk about their uniforms?
0: <laughs> well, they're wearing little bathing suits. We could call them leotards if we wanted to go down the route of, you know. Superhero costuming. Um, they have great hair. Uh, their not... makeup is
1: fully done. They yeah, they guns. look
0: great. Um, their legs are fantastic. Their legs are so long. There's a lot of skin showing.
1: And they fight <laughs> crime and then like tend to the mandrel and his oh,
0: eyes. Feed his feed grapes to peepers.
1: <laughs> so, the... <laughs> The Mandrill has recruited the mutant force, which includes Peeper. And his name is Peeper, by the way. It's not Peeper's yet, but we'll probably keep calling him Peeper's. Uh, And they are, uh, the Femme Force takes care of these guys. And they're all these kind of ugly weird looking mutants and these gorgeous women are like meant to just serve mm-hmm. them and it's very uncomfortable but the mutant force attacks an air force base in Colorado flanked by a fem force and they battle the defenders and peepers like the warning system you guys I can see what they're doing you know they're going to attack uh the defenders are captured with the exception of yellow jacket who's like the only boy that's around and peep <laughs> peeper captures the wasp in a jar <laughs>
0: He also holds his hand over the holes of the jar, like, and is suffocating her. But I don't
1: know if he realizes that he's doing that.
0: She's like, I'm dying inside here because I can't breathe.
1: And he's like, Mr. Two, is that you? <laughs> he loves a character. Oh, Mr. One's the small one. He loves a character that's smaller than he is. Like, mm-hmm. it's the only thing that makes him feel dominant. Uh So then they're back at the hideout and they are like just groping these women. And one of them is feeding Peeper grapes. Uh, More grapes, Peeper, darling. The boss told me how wonderful you were in the gold raid. The girls could never have done it without your beautiful eyes. And Burner and Slither are being so creepy over in the corners. Uh, Do you want to talk about this scene at all? It's, it's, I want to find it just comical, but it's so creepy that it's hard to laugh at.
0: I think the like the vibe that they're going for is like, uh, like saloon, like saloon girls, you know, like, Oh, the big bad West. After you come in from your little duel, you're going to sit down and all the saloon girls with their like boobs hanging out of their shirts are going to (laughs) come sit with you and like caress your face until you did a good job. That's like what it gave me was like old Western vibes. Um, But, you know, then like pretty sure in one image, like Mandel's just sort of sitting there like smirking in the corner while it's all happening. And that just makes it creepy, you know, like that's the thing that takes it from knowing that these women are not just like, oh, this is fun for me. They're like, I have no control over what I'm doing right now.
1: Yeah. The implication being and I'm taking it to a dark place, but like the monkey man is fucking them in the back room. And they have to do sexual favors for the little dude with the giant eyeballs. You know, like, it's there's something very creepy about that. Valkyrie walks in on all this and she yells, demons of the Norn! And I love Valkyrie. I fucking love Valkyrie. She's one of my all-time favorites. What is the meaning of this disgusting spectacle? Can these males actually hold such power over the women here? And she tries to fight back, but Mandrill takes over her mind also. uh, Do you want to read his little speech here?
0: Oh, yeah. He's going to have, like, a just a scary voice. He has to say like, you may call me the mandrel Valkyrie as you join the ranks of those who serve me and believe me, you will serve me willingly and with love. All women must love the mandrel. They have no choice. That is my power and the instrument of my destiny.
1: Listeners, you have my word that in a while we will have a mandrel and necra joint trial on my show but it's not going to be for a minute because we have it's we have to wait a minute to get there but i promise you that will be an episode of my show in the future uh he's (laughs) gross (laughs) uh so he sends his forces back to fight the air force and night hawk is there and he helps free the heroines and then the mutant force is defeated but then in number 83, they agreed to serve as government operatives in yeah. exchange for a presidential pardon. And this is part of a really weird story that is part of Defender's craziness. We're just not going to get into it a lot. But they form this deal and there's like some secret shadowy stuff happening with the government. And there's a lot of wonky craziness that's part of Defenders. So go go read these comics or I t- i don't know. I'll talk to Connor Goldsmith or Sarah Century about this stuff one time because they love these this era. But the mutant force in 87 is sent to fight the Hulk on behalf of the government. And Peeper just kind of watches. And then they testify before the tribunal, which, again, I'm not going to... There's an entry on the Marvel appendix about the Tributal. So if you want the answer to that, go look that specific entry up and you can read how crazy this is. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on this era of the Defenders?
0: I mean, I'd be interested to read more of it. It seems like a lot of characters are sort of going through an identity crisis during this, you know, like unsure of who exactly they are or how to like,
1: everyone is a broken down mess in that book and I love it it's my favorite book outside of the X-Men Defenders is my favorite
0: yeah so I mean I read it and I was like okay I can get in there's there's a couple of issues in here in this scope for for this episode that I was like okay oh no I have more comics I'm interested in reading I'm in trouble now
1: Defenders is wildly fun. Back when I worked on the handbooks, I was known on the team as the X-Men, Defenders, and Daredevil guy. Because they're my th- mm. they're my three favorite books uh, growing up. So when I get to interview people like J.M. DeMatteis and Nesenti and on my show, I'm like, yay! Because they wrote all these comics that I love so much. Okay, let's That's talk awesome. about Peeper so far. We're going to assume that he did not have a happy childhood after he became a mutant. We're mm. going to assume that he ran away from home and... He was recruited by Magneto who's out there looking for new operatives. And he joins this team. And I can empathize with the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants because Magneto was right, right? Like, Mm -hmm. we're going to be mutants and do crimes and, like, stand up for ourselves. And there's something very charming about him. And then they're no longer with Magneto. He stays with his buddies and they agree to work for the Mandrill. And it's like Privileged City, right? Gorgeous mm-hmm. women feeding him grapes. They're in an Air Force base. There's money. He's getting like massages in the corner. And all he gotta do loving is like, watch life out life. for the defenders and trap Wasp in a jar. Uh what's happening for this character during this? Or do you have any any thoughts about like kind of his journey as a quote unquote supervillain so far? Like he's loving life, I think.
0: Yeah, I just feel like he he's really loyal and I feel like he's the he's the friend that keeps the friend group together. Like he's the glue that's holding the the group of them together after Magneto leaves them and and kind of like behind the scenes is like, let's work together, everybody. Like, let's stay stay together. I feel like whatever happened to him in his past, like he hasn't allowed himself to if it's upsetting, he hasn't allowed it to upset him. He's just like, I'm going to go find another place and more people to to make them happy because I don't want to think about the bad. I just want to think about how to make things better for people. And like, he just thinks for some reason that being an evil villain is the way to go.
1: You kind of get the vibe that he is portrayed as rather simple. Hmm. Like learning disability, Uh, And I, I, I want this to be like a very nurturing place. So I'm, I'm writing this from kind of like the, the cultural think place, but it's almost as if the writers are like putting a mutant that's in special ed on the team. Mm. You seem like that's the way they're portraying them. Am I, am I saying that in a way that makes sense? Like, yeah, but he's not bad. He has an intelligence about him and he belongs. He's like a full fledged member of the team. So it's almost as if they created him to occupy that space but he became something else because uh, he's like a fully fledged member of the team. Nobody's ridiculing him. Nobody's teasing him. They're not calling him, hey, bug eyes, go away like they would. with right. They just they he's part of them. It's an interesting thing about him.
0: Yeah, he's way more than he seems that he is. And I think like people would assume off the bat, like, oh, he he's not quite as quick as the rest of us but then he is because he knows so much you know and that's one thing that I you notice about him throughout all of his continuity is that he's always watching Mm -hmm. like he's so observant so he might not be a character that really like speaks out a bunch but he knows so much so when he does speak it's intentional it's like yeah, I was watching you all with my hundreds of miles of vision for like ever. Always, I'm always watching.
1: Okay, so there's a version of this and I don't think this is the version I would like, but there's a version of this where Keeper blackmailed his way onto this team. <laughs> I saw totally. what you did and I'm going to tell everyone unless you put me on your team. There's there's a there's a version of that out
0: there. <laughs> I don't know, I but I feel like I feel like he blackmailed everyone but Magneto. Like, I feel like he blackmailed his way into Magneto's good graces, but Magneto doesn't know. That's why Magneto's so nice to him, because he genuinely thinks he just got there with hard
1: work. Yeah, Magneto's fondness for him is so strange, and I love it. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, Okay, we're going to talk about another story that is ancillary to the X-Men. Most X-Men readers have not read Captain America in the late 1980s. Uh, but there's a huge mutant storyline. Now, Mark Grenwald is my all-time favorite Marvel writer. He's the handbook guy. I love him. Uh, he was on Captain America forever. And there are a few really great ways to tell a Captain America story. One of them is by making him face the complications of the American dream. So you put him in a neo-Nazi riot that's Legal, right? You have him address racism as he's, you know, spouting about the American dream. You have him interact with the homeless or with veterans. Uh, There's, there's a lot of interesting places. This is an era where Mark Grenwald was bringing in a lot of different groups and societies and villains that would really push Captain America's theme. There's a character named Flag Smasher who literally is just trying to destroy all governments. Let's be one people around the world. Uh, there's a a group called the Watchdogs, who are kind of like the Proud Boys, except with jetpacks and guns, you know, uh, where they're disrupting things. Uh, We're going to meet a group here called the Resistance. And even that name alone is fascinating. Uh, What was your introduction to the the Resistance at first?
0: I was confused. (laughs) (laughs) I was confused. And then I was like, oh okay there's a big head
1: so you're like why is chad making me read this
0: (laughs) what's happening yeah no i mean i just think i i was like yeah confused is probably the right way to put it like what are what are they wearing where do they come from what's happening here why are we in a captain america story again um yeah
1: yep so the resistance is a group of mutant terrorists that are fighting for mutant rights. so it's 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 a different version of the Brotherhood of evil mutants basically it's but the same they've kind group, of but no yeah, they've they've kind of declared their themselves. own society and they're fighting for mutants. they're they're rescuing mutants from jail. They're like building a base in the desert. I I love these guys but they have all adopted like a team uniform. It's like a yellow shirt with a black R on it. And
0: it just that's... gives me so hard team rocket vibes like that's all i was like team rockets here
1: <laughs> yes um oh oh the mutant force minus peeper we're, were also involved in working for professor power at the end of the defenders but they're all back together here and they've all taken on new code names burner is now crucible shocker is now paralyzer lifter is now meteorite and Peeper, who has a big ugly helmet on his head, what's his new code name? Oh, a it's cult? A cult. What are your thoughts on this code name for Peeper?
0: Listen, I'm not gonna lie to you. After I read the code names once, I don't know who was who the rest of the time. I was like, <laughs> who is who's yelling? Like it was like, okay, that guy's lifting something up. I know that's lifter. I've just kind of um ignored their new names. And then at one point I was like, Peeper Peeper is talking right now. And someone all listed off names, and I was like, they didn't say a name that I think is the new name for people. So I'm just gonna, they're not talking to him. Like, I think they they say crucible and paralyzer, and and then also though, like meteorite is also what they travel on. So they're like yelling meteorite, and I'm like, are you calling to your friend, or are you talking about the <laughs> thing that you're traveling on? Um and yeah, I just I don't know, I but I will say what I did like is this is the most we see. I'll use his proper name in this moment. This is the most we see a cult use his laser eyeballs.
1: Hmm. A cult never is big into the laser eyes. A cult is a weird name for him. A cult obviously applies like uh, to like magic or ethereal supernatural things. It's a strange code name and it's not really explained. A uh, meteorite by the way is also the name that Moonstone takes when she joins the Thunderbolts, which is a fun fact. Oh, uh, interesting. Have you seen Captain America and the Falcon uh uh no, no, what's it called? Falcon and Winter Soldier. Falcon Sol- and the Winter Disney Soldier. Post. Yeah. So this story here is taken directly the, the the story in that is taken from this era. Mark Grenwold writes a story where there's like a veteran who likes a lot of attention, who gets appointed to be the new Captain America. And that's John Walker. He later becomes US agent in the comics and he's a total asshole. He's super strong. He's a veteran and the government is like reclaiming. So again, it's exploring that theme of Captain America. Like what if the government controlled, but his parents get slaughtered in an early mm-hmm. mission and he kind of just goes nuts and he is a violent son of a bitch. Uh, His teammate is Battlestar, who we talk about in the Silver Sable episode with Gregory Wright a lot. Uh, He's a a black version of Captain America as a national hero. And these are the two that fight the Resistance. And they are rough. Uh, (laughs) The Resistance are flying around on a meteorite. Uh, They're trying to save a captive mutant. And they rescue a guy named Quill and then get away. That's kind of the short story in Captain America 343. But it's picked up on again in 346. Uh, they have new mutants that have joined the resistance. One of them is Quill, who's a guy that has like pokey needles that poke out. And there's like five different mutants with that weird power. And the other one is a mutant named Mist Mistress, which is a very obscure Marvel character. <laughs> and they are living out in the middle of the the desert and hiding from the government because the government has passed an act where you have to register your superpowers which is nuts on its own and then they free mentalo uh were you surprised to see mentalo here you know him from Sword as
0: yes well. yes i was and i was like it kind of took me a moment because i was like wait i know this character and I was like, "Yeah, I do. Okay." Sometimes Mantello I think has, I know them, and then I don't actually know them. <laughs>
1: you know him from Sword. Mentalo is another yeah. mutant character that's not often associated with the X Men. Uh, he's one of Marvel's earliest villains. He's like an old Nick Fury guy from like the mid '60s. Uh, he has a wild history. But they they free Mentalo, and he joins their team and takes on the code name Think Tank. <laughs> and then they go back to their mutant city in Death Valley. And do you know what I realized? mesmero built a city of mutants in his first appearance where polaris was there and i kind of wonder if this is the same place there's just this like the Ah. morrow mutant city i don't know if you guys remember that but i think this is meant to be that i think this is the same place which is Grunwald like tying in like deep continuity uh which is super fun um the government sets a trap for the mutant force or for their resistance uh, do, do you want to talk about this they put quicksilver on trial oh,
0: well first i was really interested to see all of like the brotherhood there and being involved in this trap like mystique is the what like they're okay so all the brotherhood are hanging out pyro's there he's very excited um and they're like, what's the plan? Oh, we're gonna put Quicksilver on trial. And everyone sort of was like, What do you mean, Quicksilver? And then they're like, Mystique, if you will. And then she's like, boom, 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 I'm quicksilver. Uh and you know, I just was like, What's happening? Why, why are you all working in this way to trap your isn't that the you may not of know do?
1: Yeah, you may not know this era of history. So Mystique forms her own Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. They're yes. super savage. They almost kill a few of the X-Men. They try to assassinate a political leader. And then Valerie Cooper, if you know that character, she's mm-hmm. like a career politician, uh, recruits the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and turns them into Freedom Force. And Mystique oh. leads Freedom Force for a long time in the comics. And they have a bunch of appearances throughout the 80s where they are trying to capture mutants to register their powers. Uh, so they're like an X-Factor a lot. They're an X-Men a lot. They're a Daredevil. They're they're like in a bunch of books as government agents. And it's uh, they're all queer too. All of them are gay.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, I liked how Destiny was there, but Mystique and Destiny were not sitting next to each other.
1: Was a big space. There's Pyro and Blob and Avalanche, and then later Stonewall and Crimson Commando and Super Saber, who are like the gay murder grandpas, and like they're (laughs) they're just all gay. Every one of them is gay. I love
0: Um, it.
1: So they're holding a mock trial for Quicksilver because they want to draw the resistance out, thinking you know that'll make them attack. And then they've got like Captain America there. And the resistance attack and Cap is not in a good mood. His parents have just been murdered. He is having a total breakdown. And he just fucking kicks their asses. Uh, do you want yeah. to talk about that fight scene doll? Like, it's pretty brutal. And you, it, it's almost I like mean, there's not a lot of words. You kind of just flip the pages fast. And then you have to slow down and be like, oh, oh.
0: Yeah. He, I mean, he's like literally like grabbing them by the neck and throwing them around and like trying to use his shields to like end them by like tossing it at them and just I don't know it's it's interesting because when I was reading this whole thing I really was like getting excited about um the connection to the show because whenever I'm like hey I actually I kind of know this this exists in my brain somewhere and I really like if you've seen the show you know the like super violent scene where he like breaks down and he's like slamming a guy with his shields like it was that energy it was like on board with that intensity where you're like, what's different about a comic is like you're looking at it and you can't just like look away and wait for the scene to be over. You know, you're like, all right, I'm just gonna, I gotta get through this. And it wasn't like, you know, the art is not super realistic in that like you feel like you're looking at actual dead bodies, but it's intense. Like he's he's definitely in like, like he sees red. He's rage vision. He's not really thinking about what even onlookers are seeing of so him
1: doing. Peeper, or Occult, is part of a family. He has found his joy. He's found his peace. They're living in a desert. He's reclaiming being a mutant. And then Captain America attacks him. They are up on a floating meteorite. He knocks Occult's helmet off, chokes him, throws him off of the meteorite. Yes, but then... Talks, but then the meteorite, the character, uh, Lifter, brings a cult back. Cap knocks him down again, and he lands in telephone wires and is electrocuted. And right after that, a bunch of the Resistance are literally machine gunned down. Yeah. Like, a really that, brutal story.
0: That moment where he, like, gets a... Keeper gets brought back up or a cult gets brought back up and then he thinks it's okay. And he's like, why did he just jump? He just jumped and he like looks over the side and like caps underneath there, like all evil, like peering at him and then like rips him off the meteorite. You're like, Oh, you just jumped off just to do that. Uh,
1: and it's really, it's really heartbreaking when you consider this mutants who are working for the government to register mutants, are fighting against who we are led to believe are the super villains in this book, mm-hmm. which are the resistance. Yes. And they, there are mutants being gunned down as a result because they fought back. And you know the Sentinel program, like mutants being machine gunned down and poor mm-hmm. people being knocked into the telephone wires by fucking yeah. Captain America of all people. I know. And there's long-term impact for this. This electrocution is in place for the character's history for the next while. Uh, and it's really sad. It's a sad story. We mm-hmm. don't see the resistance again until 1994. It's still Grenwald on the book. It's Captain America 426. Uh, this is big blocky 90s art. It's by Dave Hoover. There's a very. This is another really ancillary X Men thing. There's a character named the Dead Ringer, and his he's a mutant, and his power his power is he goes to graves and like cuts off fingers from corpses. And when he holds one of these, like, severed body parts, he turns into the person whose body part he is touching. But, like, fully into, like, if it was, like, an armored supervillain, he, like, turns into, like, the full armored version of that villain with, like, all their guns and lasers and boot jets or whatever. Uh, I hate this character. (laughs) But he deserves a Patreon episode. So you can look up Dead Ringer if you like. Uh, do Do you have any thoughts on Dead Ringer?
0: I mean, just the just the defiling of a grave to make your mutant power work is like that's it. Just maybe, just don't.
1: I, I think you it know? was like a fun gag for Grenwald who got to use all these old supervillains mm. uh, who were dead. Uh, but yeah, it's gross. <laughs> it's yeah, gross. One of the like top five grossest mutant powers I can think of. Blah. Uh okay, so Dead Ringer turns into a character named Super Patriot and the Night Flyer, and he's trying to rob an armored car, but he fights the Resistance and they get beat up and then framed and like the Red Skull obviously like has a word where he's like, "I was behind the Resistance the whole time," which is so I hate that. I hate that yeah. Red Skull, yeah, was it. and that's never really followed up on. And also Peeper never talks, but that's kind yeah. of the end of the Resistance. That's that's where well, I know.
0: He was watching the whole time. (laughs) Well, if he can see, poor guy, you gotta like I know. He's really having a hard time. I, like, really hate, like, what happens to him and how he... I'm glad to see him not that way in Krakoa. That's what I'll say
1: before we get to it. There's another famous ancillary mutant that you wouldn't know about. There's a character named Bolt. I think it's X-Men Unlimited number eight. This is right after the Legacy virus got released. You know what that is? And they mm-hmm. introduce a brand new mutant named Chris Bradley, who's like dying of the legacy virus. And he's he was kind of probably should have only ever shown up one time, but he was popular enough. They made him a member of the New Warriors after that. So uh, the next time we see Peeper is in New Warriors, volume two, number six. This is Jay Ferber on the book. Uh, Jay Ferber and I just did a Patreon episode together a couple weeks ago. He's a great guy. Uh, the mutant forces back together, they're robbing a car, and the new warriors stop them. And the only thing Peeper does is blast Bolt. And, like, he's like, don't hurt me, once. And, like, he doesn't have much to do here. Poor guy. Uh, and then, okay, now we're going to into Frank Thierry <sighs> Frank Thierry is known for writing, like, dark super villain books where people are really bad to each other mm-hmm. it's uh it's, it's, it's got like a lot of his stuff is like a soprano's energy his books are about bad guys Frank Tieri did Weapon X uh, he's on this era of Wolverine it's 2001 Wolverine 164 and 165 do you want to talk to us a little about this issue this is where Peeper is in the cage
0: yeah I mean uh First first i feel like the this these issues would make like a really great tv show um
1: like a really but, dark gritty yeah
0: yeah like i would watch that but i just like i think it took me a minute to really like process the connection to him being electrocuted and why he was this way like he's just he's so helpless and he he you know he interacts with wolverine and he has this very much like oh yes yes and he can't make full sentences and the whole thing just made me feel sad like that's basically i was like no what happened to peeper he was he's he's sad and he's cold and he's not he's like i don't know he just so it was just very disheartening
1: yeah he calls himself peepers now and he says things (laughs) like can Peepers sit down with you? Yes, yes, yes. Peepers is a mutant like you. Glad you are here. Less beatings to take. Yes, yes, yes. Like, he's very Dobby now. Like yes. Like, totally Dobby. Is,
0: yeah. He's like, please, like, basically, to Wolverine and Beast, like, please be my protection. Like, I'm getting beat all the time here. And I, you guys are mutants. So maybe you can help me out.
1: So you get the idea. He is the mentally ill little person in a jail that's either just being like people are just making fun of him or beating the shit out of him all the time and it's a genuinely heartbreaking turn because Captain America knocked him into some telephone wires that one time
0: right and it's like he he's never been like you were saying he's never been that character like the butt of the joke or like the one that people beat on to feel better about themselves and now he is that and I don't like it
1: it's very uncomfortable. Uh, and, and again, you got to think like HBO crime drama to make this section yeah. But Frank Teary pulled a random character off of a list and put him in as the character that we were supposed to have sympathy for. But mm-hmm. also brought up the electrocution again, which was a smart, you know, incorporation of continuity. That means uh, so they did their homework. There's a group of white supremacists that attack them in the jail. The leader is, they're all prisoners. The leader is literally a guy named Aryan And one of them like shoves Peeper's face into his food and a fight breaks out. And Wolverine ends up in Wolverine's in the jail also for reasons. And he ends up in solitary Mm -hmm. confinement and Peeper brings him some food. Peeper's bring Wolverine food. Yes, yes, yes. And it's like some weird, gross meatloaf. And... He also tells Wolverine that Beast who is there has been stabbed, and he promises to watch over the Beast. And in order to protect Beast, Peeper has to fight one of the white supremacists who's making fun of him. And then he grabs a knife and just, like, rails into this guy, like, stabbing him repeatedly. And then, oh, he yells, oh, he goes, Peeper will give it to you. Yes, yes, yes. Peeper's just tired of being hurt. And then Beast wakes up and stops him from there. And then Wolverine's fighting Mavoie, which is another whole other story. And then Sabretooth is there and like frees them. And the end. Let's talk about what happens to Peepers in this era. I mean, uh, he...
0: First, like... He witnesses what happens to Beast, too. Like, he doesn't just, like, happen to know that he was stabbed. Like, he's there for it. And I just feel like he went from having so much agency and, like, not necessarily saying a bunch, but being really prominent. Like, he was always there. He was always part of the team. He was the guy who was, like, keeping everybody in check and and making sure the team was functioning. And now he's, like, this sad, meek, helpless creature who can't, like, fully form a sentence or or express his thought. And it's just, I don't know. He's very – he's a very different character in – He's, like, searching for someone who can help him because he can't help himself. And then I think this is the same idea where he really, like, is always seeing, like, that's why he knows there's a knife. That's why he decides, like, that moment where he, like, stands up for himself, it's great in that, like, okay, Peeper, maybe, Peeper's getting back on track.
1: Mm, But here's here's the key. He doesn't stand up for himself. (laughs) Yeah. When Peepers, when Peepers is loyal to you, he will kill for you. Mm -hmm. And this, like he had his previous brotherhood and now he has chosen Magneto and Beast because they care about him. And he will yeah. fucking murder a man with like multiple stab wounds to protect you. Yeah, And that's something that's very inherent about this character is his loyalty. If you pick him, yes, it's got your back 1000%. It's really sad to see him struggling mentally here. Yeah. This is also the turn in the show. Again, if it's like the late night show where like the little creep, the little simpering character who's being bullied, there's like a really violent stabbing scene in the middle and you're like, oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> But it's a it's a rough it's a rough gritty story. Uh, and also he's peepers now. Yep, with an S. I sent Alicia the uh the YouTube clip for the song "Jeepers Creepers." Where'd you get those peepers? What'd you What did you think of this old like 1950s song? It's terrible.
0: Oh, I love that song. (laughs) I knew exactly what it was before you, but like as soon as I saw it, I didn't even have to play it. I could sing it. Um. It's a great song, really. But also so many 1950s songs when you really listen to them.
1: It's they're... it's kinda insulty and rapey a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> terrible. It's kinda terrible. But you know, it's got that it's got that swing to it. So
1: So now Frank Thierry takes over Weapon X. This is one of X-Men fandom's least favorite eras of X-Men comics. Uh It's again, it's a very gritty. This is the series that has a team of mutants, including like Sabretooth, Marrow, Sauron, Mesmero. They're being sent around. They're rounding up mutants and then taking them to concentration camps to be put to death in a place called Neverland and there's a super creepy guy named the director it's a good series and it's like that horror genre Mm uh but it's an uncomfortable one to read and it's tricky to like you don't want to think about that era of Marrow for example Marrow is beloved and we do not want that Marrow yeah Uh, Yeah. Aurora is here wild child's here so it's toward the end of the series Weapon X 26 and 28 uh and Sabretooth has got Peepers a job at Satan's Circus. <laughs> oh man. Tell us tell us about Peepers job at, at Satan's Circus.
0: All I have to tell you is this is the this is exactly where this is the relationship is lucius malfoy and dobby like that's what it is it's like mm-hmm. i'm gonna bring you drinks and i'm gonna tell you i need to give you messages but every time i talk to you i'm gonna cower a little bit because i'm afraid you are gonna hit me like
1: he his he's the little he, bus boy that all the people in the bar tease and they dump drinks on his yeah. head and oh they make my fun god of
0: him. oh saber tooth he's like oh are you done with your drink saber tooth like yeah Psh.
1: I'm done on your face.
0: Like, it also gives me very like high school bully vibes.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but I will say that there were some panels where you really see that Peepers is just watching and listening <laughs> and taking it. I'm gonna keep saying it because like, he's walking by the table at one point, like Sabretooth is having his like, you know, meeting like all the bad things he's gonna do just talking about in the bar. And Peepers is just walking by and he just kind of has like a little little lean to the side like, let my eyes take all of this in. One day, Peepers is going to have the secrets to the whole mutant universe. He's coming well, out we, with the answers.
1: And we know what he can do with the knife. Uh, mm-hmm. Things get much, much, much worse for Peepers. For those that are unfamiliar with this character, again, he started at his height. And now we have the electrocution and his teams being thrown apart and the jail stuff. Now he's the mentally ill, like, bartender busboy. It gets worse in just a second. First, we have Decimation. That's the Scarlet Witch, no more mutants thing. Peepers is one of the 198 mutants that keeps their powers. And in a title called Decimation House of M the Day After, number one. I hate these titles that are like 12 words long. Uh, peepers is being pursued by the sapien league which is one of those many hunt them down and kill them human militia groups uh, he's running alongside two other favorite random characters mamomax and erg from the morlocks and uh, they are running for xavier's mansion and they get captured and nearly burned alive at the stake before yeah. wolverine and colossus rescue them okay so again Peepers is a mutant who hasn't been in the X-Men, but he's been part of Magneto's team. He formed the Resistance in his own mutant city, got electrocuted and put through all this humiliation. Then decimation happens, and now people are fucking hunting him down for Mm -hmm. being alive. This Again, it still gets darker, but they almost burn him on the cross outside the X-Men's mansion, which is so... I'm infuriated because this character is shit on...
0: (laughs) that's what I'm saying like he's so much more than you're giving him credit for (sighs) I love him and I'm sad for him and I also really loved this issue though this was one issue just in general that I was like yo I can read this this is on the list okay it's here for it um but yeah just that whole thing is so scary like they if you think about just that day you know like you're waking up and you're so afraid because mutants all over have just lost their powers and you don't know what to do or how to react or where to turn to for help. You've already been through all of these things. So you're running to find safety and at the place where you're meant to find safety, you're like cut off by people who literally want to destroy you. And just the way that they're all like coming out of the woods and like slowly ganging up on them, and then instantly are just setting up those crosses and lighting things on fire. It's really terrible. And just like taking a super traumatic day to like the most ultimate trauma.
1: Yeah, I I, I, oof. I wrote these notes and I put it all together, but I just I'm sitting with the emotional reality of what that means for this character, and it's rough. There's also yeah. an era of X-Men comics right here that are also not fondly remembered. Sometimes the 198 all move into like a camp at the Xavier Institute, and there's a government agency that, of course, turns out to be corrupt, called Sentinel Squad One, which stands for the Office of National Emergency. And they have a human piloted sentinels who are keeping all of the mutants in an internment camp, uh, allegedly for their safety. And there's a whole bunch of adventures. You see Peeper in the background, like during the X-Men, the 198 story. There's a couple issues of X-Men volume two where like the Leopard Queen and Apocalypse are there. But he doesn't have a lot to do here. But him being in this uh, like internment camp with these others, it's heartbreaking
0: it's so this the whole idea of of that is like there's only like if you're part of a group of people that is diminished was was millions and is diminished to 198 people and then you're brought into this camp like there's no way you're not thinking they brought us all here just to get rid of us completely you know like and that alone is just Terrible, terrifying, so much to just like take in. And then, you know, you're you're just witnessing horror every single day. It's really it's really not, you know, when you start reading these issues and you see who the character is at the beginning, like this is not where you thought they would go, you know.
1: For any of the mutants. I mean, it's a dark right. time for all mutants, but you watch Peeper's kind of behind the scenes journey over 30 years, and for him to end up here is heartbreaking. And then it gets worse. Peter David's run on X Factor. Uh, this is a historic, lengthy run. It's X Factor Investigations. It's very fondly remembered. Uh, we're in X Factor number twenty-six. This is during the Decimation era. Tell us about Peepers here. I, uh, I I don't know if you've read any of these comics before, but this. No. Oh my god.
0: <laughs> so he's just—he's got—he's got a car. Okay, so he's moving up in the world, and he's got a bumper sticker will break for mutants and, but he's not having a good time because something is following him. So he calls X-Factor for help and then his car crashes. And then he's, he's like, well, all
1: a deer carcass gets thrown oh onto the God. car, causing yes, him to like, crash. It's a dead it's deer.
0: It's not just a regular crash. It's like your entire windshield is smushed in by a deer and you know he's got shards of glass in his eyes and like his eyes are his lifeline and now he can't really see and he doesn't know what's going on and he has like the door open and it's like are you x factor are you here to save me no i am a demon monster and i'm here to eat you question mark have you
1: ever heard of predator x yeah what do you know about predator x
0: Nothing. Just heard it before. Oh, you just know what it is. So these <laughs> yeah. there's
1: these monsters that have been like created to hunt mutants. They're these giant lumbering beasts, and they go running through the woods and they eat mutants. And they're like That's they uh, show up a whole bunch of times during this era of comics because people are trying to kill mutants. And Predator X is this giant scary monster thing, and it eats Peeper. It just eats him and like spits out his bones in
0: one bite. Just I feel like I imagine it kind of like. You know, like when you bite a chicken wing and then you like pull the skin off and then Oof. on the meat and then the bone is left there. That's kind of what I feel like just happened to
1: Peeper it's just like. Siren literally finds his remains and that's the end of Peeper, except it's not because he's not except dead. It's and it's not. But this story Uh, There's a list of mutants that are left, 198. And Peter Dave is like, we got to kill one of them in order to make Predator X seem viable. Let's pick Peepers. You're like, damn it.
0: No, why? (laughs) He's just trying to, he's just, is he also named Peter?
1: His name, his real name is Peter Quinn.
0: Yeah. Cause I think at one point I, I had to do like a double read of the page because I thought he was talking to someone else. Cause I'm like, wait, did you just say Peter? And then he was like, "Nah, that's me. I'm Peter."
1: Yeah, his real oh. name is his real name is Peter Quinn, uh, which is a great little name for him. That's fine. Yeah, it's cute. Um, this is a brutal ending for this character, but he shows up alive, and this is one of those where somebody just didn't check their continuity. Yeah. He died in 2008, and then he's back in 2017. In a random appearance in unbelievable Gwenpool number 13. And then he's also working, Frank Tieri brings him back for his Ravencroft series, uh, where Peepers is working as a lab assistant, and he's still talking all crazy. I'll draw your blood. Yes, yes, yes. And those are his only two appearances prior to S.W.O.R.D. And we're going to talk about S.W.O.R.D., but there's uh, the handbook. We always had to like find ways to answer these questions. And so the peepers that died might've been an LMD or an illusion or predator X accidentally ate someone else and peepers got away or like there, there's some way that this guy survived or maybe he was resurrected, but that ending for him getting consumed is where I will end it for him prior to Krakoa because then Krakoa really means something for this character. Yes. Uh, do you have thoughts on him being mysteriously alive before we move to Sword?
0: I mean, I I read both of those as like mm, someone was just kind of maybe not paying attention <laughs> because even in the like in the order in which they come out, like in X Factor, he's making full sentences and he seems to have been rehabilitated, maybe from his brain injury or something, right? And then and and he. You know, in the Gwenpool thing, he sort of just like is like, oh, I don't really want to be a part of this. And he just started just does the like secret moonwalk away. And that was like, well, that's an interesting choice, but it's not really um doesn't have any implications. And then in this other one, it's like, oh, you you needed an Igor for your mad science. And so you that's
1: you you were like,
0: oh the yes master i'll do this it's frank teary it's the same guy
1: he he brought the character from the jail and Satan's circus and put him right in ravencroft for like that one yeah
0: yeah that's okay yeah so i was like they're there they exist okay
1: so recapping one more time we started with the brotherhood of evil mutants and then the resistance and then this slow decline where this character is punished over and over again for being a mutant electrocuted imprisoned forced to commit murder Uh, And then, like, knocked around and then, like, works in the bar and then in the internment camp, nearly burned at the stake or the cross, and then gets eaten by a fucking monster. We're going to assume those other random characters were, like, an LMD or, like, Arcade's robot because now Peeper is resurrected on Krakoa. What does Krakoa mean to a character like this who doesn't Ah. fit anywhere in society and has been punished his entire life for just being who he is?
0: It's so awesome. It's so awesome because he's brought back and he's given a purpose immediately. He's given a job.
1: Yeah.
0: It's just like, you're, you're allowed to be here. We want you to be here. I mean, it's interesting to see the like physicalization of him change. He feels more like he grew up almost like he definitely seems like he's taller And his head is more proportionately shaped to his body. I was going to talk about that. They've resurrected
1: him into an improved form of himself.
0: Yeah. So, like, that's, you know, I wonder if the OG peeper peepers wanted that or if that was an aesthetic choice made without his consent. Uh, But that's what they've done. And he just seems like genuinely just happy to be alive and to be given a second chance, you know, to, to have his full facility to explore something new. He's just very happy.
1: This is all this character has ever wanted is belonging. You don't have to commit crimes. If you fit into your society, you don't have to go fight back against the government when the government's made of mutants. He is happy. And mutants are living in homes and communities and setting laws and then sword happens. So this is the Al Ewing Valerio Shidi story. They've reclaimed that title from what Abigail Brand used to run for the United States government. Uh, They are launching a mutant space station and there are a whole bunch of mutants that are D and F and Z listers that are brought in here in a prominent way uh, Fabian Cortez, Frenzy. Do you have any favorites from this sword run? There's a lot of really vanishers here who I love.
0: Uh, manifold.
1: Manifold is amazing, and he hadn't been part of yeah. the X-Men prior to this, so this was. Manifolds
0: like... and Frenzy are the two that really stick out for me.
1: Yeah, their Frenzy's an all-time favorite of mine as yeah. well. Uh, so Peeper kind of looks like Voldemort now. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: he's he's graduated from Dobby to Voldemort
1: <laughs> uh, he's got a white shirt he's got a purple and black jacket and he's like just this adorable little man and he yes. works in the observation unit because he's always watching and always. He, he also works in analysis online uh, alongside Mentalo who's his old buddy think tank from the resistance and Magneto is there and Magneto's so affectionate with him uh, he says, "You know, hey, I want to catch up with you." And Peepers uh, says, "It's nice to be wanted, you know, which is just <laughs> wonderful." Uh, Peter also tells Magneto that he has some ideas he wants to run by the Quiet Council, and we'll we'll follow up on that in just a second. And then he joins this crazy mutant circuit where there's a whole bunch of people working together to like pierce the barriers of dimensional reality. So they can withdraw Mysterium from another realm, which is now like this major thing in the Marvel universe. It's like a mutant bargaining chip. It's this like Mm -hmm. magic rock that does all this stuff. So Peeper is part of a brotherhood. Uh, Do you have thoughts on this? Oh, we also see him at the wedding reception of Cypher and Bay New Mutants, which is cute.
0: Yeah, I just think like the fact that he's involved in the sourcing of Mysterium is so huge. It's like, you take this character who has been through so much and then you bring him back and you give him an important role. And it's like, he probably feels so valued in a way that he maybe never felt before. Like, and and the, I think the working together, like the idea of a mutant circuit is like the ultimate trustworthy team building bonding experience, you know? Like, You can't do that without one or the other. There's not a replaceable like, oh, let me just sub this person in. And I think that that's so beautiful. You know, when I first read it and I I was like, who the heck is this guy? Who the heck are all Which I think probably
1: 90% of readers of S.W.O.R.D. were like, oh, cute, little mutant dude. But they don't know the history.
0: Right. But then when you go and you're like, oh, my God. And this is like because Magneto, he was Magneto's right hand dude for a little bit. They had a special connection, so this is a really sweet, magical moment. And you're like, yeah, so I'm happy for you.
1: Sword number five is one of my favorite solo comics in the entire Krikoan era. Fabian, uh, do you want to tell us about Fabian Cortez? Oh <laughs> we talked about him. I did an episode, I did an episode on a scanner with Justin Kozmachuk. We talked about Fabian a little there, but what's Fabian's deal?
0: Oh, Fabian. I mean, listen, he really thinks of himself as more valuable than he maybe actually is. And he's very prideful. And I think he he often doesn't want to be embarrassed.
1: Fabian um, is Jafar. Oh he's God. the right-hand man to the king. Who is always cooking up a plot to take over. And there's uh, you probably haven't read some of these, but there's like six or seven stories through the 90s where he's always either working for Exodus or Magneto. And he's always the bad guy plotting their demise. And he takes over the Acolytes multiple times. And he's doing the same fucking thing on Krakoa. He's the same guy. Yeah. (laughs) When we go into sword number five, Peepers is welcomed before the Quiet Council, which is the ruling body of mutants on Krakoa abigail brand is there fabian cortez is there and magneto calls peeper a man of vision and one of his oldest and most trusted friends magneto
0: <laughs> What i'm saying that's what i'm saying that's how you know peepers is a good dude because he has the seal the un like questioned seal of approval from magneto one of then. my
1: oldest and trusted friends. There's a story about these two from yeah. the past that I need. I uh need Cortez is naked. He's so mad. <laughs> He died in battle, and they resurrect him, and Magneto's not suffering this fool. So he's like, if you want to come talk to the Quiet Council, you can do it right now. And Cortez is like, all right, look at my amazing body. And he he is hot, I mean, but gross. Uh, Very hot, yes. Cortez has a proposal to the Quiet Council that mutants should be allowed to kill humans without consequence because humans are less than. And Peepers is given my favorite moment in his entire history here. Uh, Magneto allows Pieperts to speak for the Quiet Council, and Peepers asks Cortez, "What is your mutant name?" And Cortez doesn't have one. He's literally got the last name of colonizers and conquerors, and he wants to hold on to that. And Peepers points out to Cortez, "Like you are holding on to your family history and your legacy as colonialists and conquerors instead of picking a mutant name. This is your fresh beginning. This is your chance to be part of society." I chose Peepers, who are you? And Cortez is shut down. Uh, Why did we need this moment? Fuck, Al Ewing, this is, I love it so much.
0: This that's what I'm saying, Al Ewing, please write the backstory of Peepers and Magneto together forever BFFs. I mean, this is it, right? Like Peepers has been watching everything the whole time. And he knows that like deep down, all of the mutants, all they want, their reasonings for everything they do is acceptance. And if you're searching for acceptance, Peepers is saying, hey, Fabian, we're going to accept you for who you are. Tell us who you are. Like, tell us. Don't be this like fake version of yourself. Don't put this front up. Tell us who you are. This is what Krokoa is about. And I think it's so important for that to come from someone who might seem like, a nobody. And like, he's not on the council. He's just a a mutant that maybe you haven't heard of, but it's so important for it to come from just a regular person, you know, just a regular guy, because then it's proving that every mutant has a chance here and every mutant has a voice here and every mutant has a place if you just, but you have to also accept the fact that you're a mutant. You have to be proud of the fact that you're a mutant. And if you choose not to, then we don't trust you. Then you don't, you don't accept us either.
1: I, I could do a whole thing on Cortez. My word, I I am fascinated by this character, but Cortez, one of the complexities of him is he wants to overthrow Magneto, but ultimately you also want, he like wants Magneto's approval so bad. Mm-hmm. And Cortez thinks of himself as so much better than Peeper. Uh, but Peeper's is next to Magneto who's got his Mm -hmm. like arm around his oldest and trusted friend. Like, why don't you put Cortez in his place? And there's this like ultimate sign of acceptance for this character. It's really wonderful. I love Mm -hmm. this moment. I I cheered out loud when I read that. And it's one little, like two panels that Ewing gave us of this character. And it's so good. I love it so much.
0: It's great.
1: Um, we also see him in Way of X number two, where he senses the patchwork man, because people can see things. And in Marauders yes. number twenty-three, uh, he is uh, he has a cute little moment with Emma Frost and she's like, Hey, come have dinner with me at Hellfire Bay sometime. And he's like, Yeah, yeah. that sounds great. So even oh, thank Emma you something loves him.
0: special. Thank you <laughs> something special. I love it.
1: So we do have to talk and changing subject for a moment, we gotta talk about eyeballs for a second. <laughs> There is something so eerie about eyeballs. Peeper is a cute version of this, but yeah. we are obsessed with characters who have giant eyeballs. Uh, oh. I mean, uh, Marvel classically has the villain, uh, the orb, who's a giant yeah. walking eyeball on a head. Uh, who are some of your favorite eyeball characters on Krakoa? <laughs>
0: Eyeboy.
1: Eyeboy is a favorite. Eyeboy. And... Uh, do, you remember, oh. do you remember Orbis
0: Or uh, a Serrata? Or a
1: Serrata. Uh, yeah. Because the giant eyeball with well, like, like a donator well, on her back.
0: Well, like, like with the little baby on the back. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh my God,
1: it's Mr. One and Mr. Two.
0: <laughs> oh my God. The whole time it was Mr. One and Mr. Two. No, no. That'd no. be amazing. Um, yeah, I think definitely Eye Boy is my favorite though because all of boys eyes are used for different things and that's the coolest like x-ray eye thermal energy eye whatever else
1: the eyes do he's and- meant to be eyeball 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 boy boy is a weird version of peeper in oh. that he's a creepy eyeball guy but he's kind of cute and you're fond of him yes, I uh, love but him. he's also really powerful mm-hmm. uh and then there's like I don't know when we have eyeball things. There's like three things about eyeballs that really freak me out. The idea of like a needle poking an eyeball just oh, gives yeah. me the heebie-jeebies. There's like the idea of being watched, like mm. you, like the the moving eyeballs in paintings and horror movies, or like there's an eyeball peering through a knot, like through the wood, and you're like, ah,
0: like I the an the book. The Hocus Pocus yeah.
1: book. <laughs> uh, oh, and then there's okay. also like bloodshot eyes. Like the, the vision of like a giant bloodshot eye is so scary. But Peepers never gives me the creepy vibes. They don't, the, the eyes are part of his power, but they don't seem to really play up any sort of like the horror mm. part. He's just yeah. talking in the background with big old eyeballs, you know? Uh, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Because this isn't think- the horror character.
0: I think in different iterations, though, sometimes he does like sometimes they show his eyes really veiny and I can't remember what what issues it was in. But there were some where he had like elf ears or was like a little bit more like demonic looking. And he's dopey. That. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was like a little bit more creepy. But I think like he's not his eyeballs give me more that vibe when. You know, a cartoon character's eyes like well up and they're like blink, 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 blink at you. Yes, or, yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. know, that's he is those kind of eyes and not so much like I'm staring into your soul, I'm gonna steal you eyes.
1: When we are wrapping these up, I always ask this question What's the peepers story that we need? uh and is there like a way you would like to see this character featured more if that it, like if so what what would that way be so we've already established we would love the peeper magneto backstory
0: yeah definitely that but i think i would i would like okay there's two i want to know the moment he got his powers and like that story so his little like what does justin call it his Mewberty story. Muberty um and then i want like and that could be like a one shot or an infinity comic and then i want an infinity comic of like what's peepers doing now and just like little iterations of him going around and like reconnecting with mutants that he has a relationship with right like i'm sure his relationship with emma stems from the whole 198 of it all right so like What, who are his other like mutant pals that he has had moments with? And like, can we get like keepers and his friends like? At the Green Lagoon, like they have a special booth. Pebers has his own booth and like his <laughs> friends come and like chat with him once a week. He has a new friend or something.
1: I would love a couple of pages devoted to him just kind of sharing his story, mm-hmm. talking about the the prison and the murder and the electrocution and the Captain America of it all, the mutant society. There's, there's a through line with this character that is not directly stated or caught by anyone. And I think it's really fascinating. Uh, if we put him on like a team book, I think he would be the guy that has to be protected a lot, but he has some unique power sets. You you put him on a mission in limbo or something. He's the guy that can see far away. But I also feel like just something horrible would happen to him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he got eaten by a monster already. Like, he doesn't need that again. I don't if know if we
0: could get if we could get like the if we could go back to pirate ship marauders. He would be like the guy in the crow's nest. Sure. But- yeah. Yeah scoping out what's going down. Oh, he would rock like a little pirate outfit.
1: (laughs) He would be like
0: the Smee of the group. (laughs) He would need to be in a little striped shirt.
1: I genuinely love this character. I'm very affectionate for him and I will forever associate him with this conversation, obviously. But uh, do you have any final thoughts on uh, Mr. Peter Quinn? I love him.
0: I love him. And I feel like... I will fight for him. Like I, if someone wants to come at me and say something about my boy Peepers, <laughs> I'm coming for you. I'll defend him. I think he's great. I think he's been through so much. And I'm actually really glad, you know, we when we first started and we were talking like, why did I pick Peepers? Like, I'm so glad that I did because there's so much more to him. And I think there's a lot that could be explored with what his powers can do. And that's really interesting to me. And he just genuinely feels like a good dude. So
1: We can talk about the weirdos. We can talk about the obscure. One of my favorite things in doing this channel though, is it makes me really delve, delve into like characters we don't think about. And mm-hmm. particularly these mutant characters that are on Krakoa that have never really been involved with the X Men before. There's something fascinating about that too. I, I, I genuinely am fond. I've got one last question for you, and then we'll wrap up. Buck, Mary, Kill, Mister oh, One. No. Oh no, Mister Two, and the Mandrill. Eh, Chad, <laughs> what a terrible
0: <laughs> bit of choices i gotta oh no um okay well i'm killing the mandrel that's it i'm killing the mandrel i kind of feel like it's almost impossible to fuck either mr one or mr two um you can get creative but i will say that i could use mr one for myself and i could marry mr two
1: Oh, that was a terrible question. Uh, I, I consider it was a doing like, I considered doing like burner lifter, you know, those guys, but this seemed more funny. I, yeah, I, that was a good, I, that
0: was a good challenge.
1: I stand by my, yeah. <laughs> my decision. Uh, okay, uh, Alicia, we're going to put this out on June 14th on the Patreon channel. Uh, tell people where they can find you. And I know you don't plan your show in advance the way I do. Yeah. You're just doing the current books, which is a wonderful, and I listen to your show every week. I love it. Uh, It's one of my favorites, and I love the two of you very much. But uh, is there anything you want to plug uh, around the time of this release, uh, June 14th?
0: Yeah, yes, yeah. So, well, first you can find me on Instagram at the x wife podcast, T-H-E-W-X-I-F. That's not how you spell it. (laughs) That's not it. That's not even close to how you spell it. T-H-E, yeah, it was X W I F E. That is it. As no, I an not I think you got it right. It's cool. <laughs> it's good. Spelling is hard. Um, or at Wilder Moves. And uh, if you follow me on Wilder Moves, you see more of my cosplay stuff. Uh, we're talking new comics all the time on the show, but I am working on a few new cosplays and One of which will not be ready around this time. It'll hopefully be ready for New York Comic-Con. But they're both of the same character. And I am hoping that by the time, let's see if I could do it, close to the Hellfire Gala, I could have a Rasputin Hellfire Gala look.
1: Oh, fabulous. Rasputin is a brand new-ish character in the comics who is a chimera of Colossus and Magic and a few other characters. And she's got a crazy cool look to her.
0: Yes. She's Wonderful. awesome. And her Hellfire Gal look, I saw it. Like I've been going back and forth. What am I gonna do? I don't know. Whose look am I gonna make this year? And then I saw that when I was like, done, decided, goodbye, everyone else. Uh
1: and I can't wait to no see. No contest. Alicia and I are also both going to be along with our spouses, uh, my my Michael and her Justin, we're going to be at the Uncanny Experience yes. together in September. Oh my God. And it's going to feel like just going to a high school reunion and like hanging out with all your friends. I'm, I'm it's gonna be genuinely amazing. excited. It's going to be wonderful. Uh, okay. Uh, you can find me, Graham Malkin PP P, like podcast on Twitter, Graham underscore Leon on Instagram. Uh, we've got such crazy cool stuff. We just, uh, so the show went through the big transition a couple months ago, we ended the sixties stuff and now we're in the hidden years at the end of, it's going to be about September. We're going to hit the end of the hidden years era and then like, start into another new era on my show, which I'm really excited about. So this summer, we're doing a lot of that stuff, Uh, but I'm still working in some pre-continuity. So uh, the next episode coming out on the main channel right after this on June 19th is going to be about Doctor Strange number 182, which is a weird 1969 juggernaut story. Uh, And we get to interview the legendary uh, Peter Sanderson, who was a contemporary of Mark Grenwald. And I'm just... Super excited to meet him, uh, and then the next Patreon episode immediately after this is going to feature the ultimate P flag mom, uh, the mother of Cannonball and Husk, uh, Miss Lucinda Guthrie. And I've been <laughs> practicing my Southern accent; it will be a, a delight for you all. Uh, and I'm doing that with Day Spring, so we'll have a, a really <sighs> fun time. Uh,
0: oh my god,
1: that's going to be a yes. long one. I'm thinking that episode's going to be like two and a half hours because she is the, the best character in comics.
0: Oh man! I don't How know if you have met their meet? the
1: Guthrie mom, but she's, she's oh yeah, honest.
0: that's amazing. That's gonna be that's gonna be a grand old time the two of you together. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Every one of these is just a delight. Uh, Alicia, thanks for hanging out with me today. This was a genuine delight. We went nearly two hours on peepers. Yeah,
0: because Peepers is amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I always have a blast with you, Chad. Uh,
1: Back at you, my friend. I will invite you and your husband again and again because you're delightful. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, We'll see you back here next time on Gray Malkin Lane's Patreon.